Hello, Michael here with just a couple quick announcements before we get into today's show. One, yes, this episode is two hours long. I kind of apologize. I looked for a good place to cut the episode and there just really wasn't one. Of the original audio that we're reviewing, there's only about 30, 35 minutes left. There's a whole lot of discussion between Jim and myself. And I just couldn't find a place that I thought made sense to cut, so I left it all in. Hopefully, you will be able to find a place on your own that is convenient for you to stop and then resume later uh, so that you can enjoy the entire episode. Secondly, as we mentioned at the end of this episode, and I think we've mentioned a couple times before, we are going to do a live Q&A session regarding this series of shows. It's going to be on March 7th, which is a Wednesday night. It will be at 9 p.m. Eastern on either the Twitch channel or YouTube channel. It'll be streaming live to both of those services, so Twitch or YouTube slash the RPG Academy. You should be able to find us. If you are unwilling, uninterested, unable to join us live for that show, you can email questions in, and we will try our best to address them on the show. Uh, you can email those questions, therpgacademy at gmail.com, and just somewhere in the subject line, make sure you mention that it's for the GM Masterclass, and we will know to filter those into that Q&A session. Thirdly, we are planning on doing more of these. They've been doing fairly well for us in terms of downloads and listenership. If you are enjoying them, please let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, particularly if you're new to the show uh, and the RPG Academy from this series. I'd like to, for you to say hello and maybe consider a review on iTunes. Just saying. But uh, the goal is to do more of these with other GMs, maybe with other philosophies of GMing, other actual play series that are out there. I'm going to post, I have not yet, but I'm going to post some general information about what we need and sort of uh, requirements and so on and so forth if someone out there would like to uh, ping us about either a show they're a part of or just their favorite AP that they would like for us to break down in this manner. And then finally, quickly, a Catacon 2018 is a go. We will once again be back at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio, the weekend of Veterans Day weekend, which this year is November 9th, 10th, and 11th. There will be a Kickstarter that's going live on March 14th, the week after the Q&A, also 9 o'clock Eastern on our YouTube slash Twitch channels. The Kickstarter is only going to have a few things on it, basically VIP badges and then places for donations and sponsorships. All the other types of badges, including GM badges, regular badges, vendor badges, and demo tables will be available August 1st on our Eventbrite page. Okay, with all those announcements out of the way, on to the show. Hello and welcome back to the eighth and final installment of the first series of the GM Masterclass. I, of course, am Michael from here at the RPG Academy. And with me, as always, is Mr. Jim McClure. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing outstanding because we're we're, we're at the finale, or we, or we think this is going to be the finale episode, unless we talk too long on other things. <laughs> I might force you to split it as a two-parter. We'll see. Uh, but but uh, it, it's feeling like finale material, right? It's got that big fight feel to it. I'm yeah, excited. We uh, we have built and built and built and built, and now it is time to see if everything we've built will come crashing down. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers! Of, of course it does. Yes. So despite my uh, unequivocal declaration at the beginning that we would not release any of these episodes until we had finished recording all of them, 
we did. Uh, last week, episode one came out, and uh, p- feedback seems to be pretty positive, yeah. uh, looking good. Uh, just as a reminder, we want to do a question and answer episode yes. once this one finishes airing, which will be sometime mid-February. And then based on the feedback and based on the response, we would look at doing the second series of L5R episodes. Now, I realize I've locked myself into the corner because I call this GM Masterclass Return to Rokugan. Oh, yeah, that's a mistake. So unless I do GM Masterclass Return Return to Rokugan, <laughs> uh, the next series will just be episode nine, and we will continue on. Fair. Uh, so the, the whole Rokugan series will be one long series. That, that, sounds, that sounds like logic. Yes. yes. So anything before we get started? We had last uh, last episode we had just finished up with our revisit to the Kami out at the uh, dam by the where the river had been changed. Uh, Daigotsu Jin had went with us, and he was kind of a prick. And uh, not Daigotsu Jin. Yeah, and so we're there ready to uh, we just finish up the Kami. So anything or just jump uh, out no, here? I I think you know as we've talked about every step of the way at this point from the GM side, I'm I'm pretty sure I've got myself locked in of our, of our Michael and James duel, our, our Morimoto and uh, Hiruma duel, uh, fighting for each side of it. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I've got a good surprise punch. How I'm going to make Hiruma duel for Daigotsu gotcha. uh, that I don't think we've talked about in the previous episode. Episodes, and we'll of course see how all that that progresses. But uh, the GM has a plan. The plan's been laid, and uh, we're going into the final steps now of how all this is built together. Fantastic! So this is going to be GM Masterclass Return to Rokugan Episode Eight, and here we go. I bow my head again towards the kami. Thank you, spirit. Your information has been helpful. And you see its puddle sort of forms back in the glob, and it jumps up into the air, and then twirls a couple times and splashes down into the river. Someone's happy. Yeah, someone's happy. It's okay. easy being a commie. So mm-hmm. as as this has been happening, obviously this was only a few minutes. Clearly, yes. Um, have any of the other three come back to where I am? Mm-mm. No, he has stayed with them, and obviously it doesn't sound like you all have moved. We're all standing there in uncomfortable silence. <laughs> the jade statue that you were so gracious to gift upon us. I, I have not only seen with my eyes, but heard tell from your men that this is a hobby of yours that you are most enthusiastic about. <laughs> well, I wonder if it was Morimoto's first glance with his eyes or his second glance before he recognized true art in his face. <laughs> I must admit, I am not a connoisseur, and I would not laugh when someone directly insults you to your face, Morimoto. Okay, wow, okay. Yeah. Yep, okay. It is a pastime of mine. Jade is, is such a beautiful object. It's a shame that it is wasted on some that just use it as a tool of protection when its artistic beauty is amazing. There's no other gems that give off the same light as Jade. It is fascinating to stare into it, not only the power that it brings, but the artisticness and the beauty it is just a marvelous product. Do you know the history of Jade? And he starts going into this tirade about mm. everything you could ever want to know about Jade and more. He is clearly very scholarly on the matter, and the entire time that he's doing his thing, mm-hmm. he is rambling without a break on Jade and how hard it is to carve and complimenting himself quite uh, quite well of, of his own talents to be able and to deal with it. Here's the thing about Kumo. Uh for for a while, you know, he's keeping a political face, but after he, he goes on and goes into greater detail, his face sort of melts away and he's sort of in awe and uh, 
enraptured in this clear passion and interest and taking it on and by the end, by the time that his rambling stops miramoto's composure is somewhat broken uh but mostly in that he is excited about the things he has heard and and he sort of ends his tirade, as presumably you're walking back to the clearing hita um and he ends his tirade and he actually pulls out of his pocket he drops the last of his meat he was carrying to the ground and he pulls out of his pocket and it is a a jade ring that he has formed he is informed how hard it is and that this will be one of my best craftings and I will be presenting it to my new wife when she arrives tomorrow oh my I had not I did not know that such a momentous day was upon us. My congratulations are to to you and of course your bride. I hope she will be pleased with it. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> okay. So just just to go back to what your your first sort of exasperated uh almost gasp at the beginning. So Dagotsu went full on dickhead. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize I went that hard with it. Um yes, but but you you will notice with all of these, all of the dickheadedness, um there's another good word for you, dickheadedness, uh has been directed towards one person. Yes. And that's Morimoto. Because uh, at this point, that's who he's going to fight. But what we've done, and you even saw in, in the role play that, that James did with his character there, is um, what he just did was he softened everyone a little bit. He reminded everyone that, yes, I am a person. And look, I have hobbies, I have interests, and it's really hard to treat someone like a monster who is just like, hey, I have this really specific hobby and interest that I do that other people perhaps find nerdy and that I think is really, really cool, and I'm opening myself up a little bit to you all. Not that anyone in our community could uh, empathize with that feeling, right? right. It, it would have been better if he hadn't started off with a, with a direct, insult. harsh, harsh insult. Sure, and but then, he still digotes it. And then made fun of the person for deflecting and trying not to rise to the bait. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the go-to be the go-to. You know, he, he's still the villain. Uh, and then the other side of it is then you see another moment of weakness when he, he talks about the ring and he talks about marrying your sister. And there's there's that moment. And obviously the, the other players are still, you know, the, the players know that he's marrying your sister. Their characters don't know yet. Um, but there's that, that moment of, oh, the guy's getting married. And there's like a not snide attitude toward it. There's almost a little bit of like hesitation and a little bit of, uh, you know, again, weakness that you see in this character. Where it's like, I, I hope that she'll like it. And there's this brief moment of like, oh, maybe he's excited for this marriage. Maybe it's going to be a good marriage. Maybe everything will be fine. And, of course, in the back of Haruma's mind, whatever's brewing from the conversation <laughs> from the night before. It, it's a good way. I, again, I, I while I'm pushing him as the villain at this point going into it because I'm like, okay, here is an asshole you have to fight. Uh, we're establishing that. That's where we're going. I also want it to be a little bit sad, and I always want people to be because it's ultimately a, a tragedy, really, that we're telling. And ultimately, I want people to always treat, no matter who they're interacting with, villain, hero, in between, a lot of in between in this particular story, as a person. And to see the various aspects as a person, because then it gets really hard to just go, oh, that's goblin number five that needs to be slain. And not to get too far into the weeds on this, but it's it's something, as someone who enjoys movies, which many people do, it's not like it's a you know, carving jade level right. of a hobby or anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I enjoy movies that are a little bit more nuanced, have a little bit more gray in their heroes and villains. But very often in the Hollywood movie scene, 
you might have three quarters of a movie that's nuanced and gray, but when you get to the climax, it's pretty much black and white at right. that point from then on. And it feels like this is a little bit of an attempt to try to keep it at least somewhat gray here at the end. It's like, we kind of know where we're going, but we still want to give one little more dash of salt on the Daigosu as a person. He's not just a villain. He's a right. villain, right? but he's got hobbies. <laughs> he's a villain in <laughs> hobbies. Exactly. And, and it, yes, that's a very good point. All right. But alas, we are here for an investigation. Indeed. And once it's done, then we can have time for pleasantries. I, I did mention uh, your statues not only to be regaled with your unmatched knowledge of Jade, but to raise concern. Are you the only one who touches your statues? As far as I'm aware, other than those that I gift them to. Mm. Such as Hida. Yes. I hope he is treasuring it well. It was given its proper respect. <laughs> and literally shards of it are under your feet as yeah. you talk. It broke right here. <laughs> uh, quick out of game metaphysical question uh -huh. for the nature of the game that I don't know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Given the spiritual and metaphysical properties of jade, mm -hmm. would it attract spirits? Um, there's generally more powerful spirits in it, because, again, there's kami in anything. It, it in and of itself does not attract more to it. it it's actual, the precious object that it is, it was the tears of Lady Sun mm -hmm. in the whole creation story, and as her tears landed on wherever they landed... Don't bore your people with this nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Well, Caleb did ask. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess. Based on that, there is nothing more, more spiritual to it than that, okay. but it does directly counteract some of the spiritual realms. So it would not act as a magnet for loose spirits that it, might it be would in not. the area. It would not. Okay. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so Hida would return. Uh, of course, and you return to hearing the, the, the end of his talk about his the jade ring. Mm-hmm. Did your walkabout lead to any more conclusions that two days of investigation had not already brought upon us? We've talked earlier specifically how I like to introduce into the narrative things that everyone knows mm -hmm. just to make sure that everyone knows them in the game and just you know solves a lot of problems. And right there, you took a DM shortcut mm -hmm. because we very easily could have had that who's on first moment because we all had a conversation at the table. Everyone heard it, but technically Hida, you know, he had stated he was further away because he was doing his own thing. And rather than let us go through and say, Oh, did you just know that so-and-so? -and -so? It's just like, you, you heard that. Yep. Exactly. You, yeah, you yeah. Move on. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's no, we don't need to do exactly the, the who's on first. We don't need to do the, let, let, let's catch the person up on information. Doesn't mean to do. You came in hearing the relevant thing. He had a spiel on Jade. There's a Jade ring. Bam. There it is. Go move forward. Don't, don't, don't bog down your game with nonsense. And I could see in certain situations where it would be okay to do that, but not at this point in right. the story. Right, because it, it's it's a bit of a we're, we're trying to pick up momentum at this point. You know, we we don't want to do things that are going to slow and bog down and and have a slower pace. There's a place for those, uh, and those places are mostly in Act One and Two. Now that we are solidly in Act Three, it's rising tension, rising tension, rising tension. What can we do to build that up? And sort of a progressive, faster pace of scenes really helps to feel that that little bit of anxiety that you have of just like ah, oh, the thing's gonna happen. Um, so yeah, just. Just to, little things like that to, to keep it keep it moving forward. 
My investigation nears its end, and your patience in this matter is appreciated. Then your observance is not too keen, because my patience is at its end. Dickhead. God, he won't take any of y'all's pleasantries. Here, by my insistence on hostilities not breaking out, I truly wish to remain neutral in this matter. I want justice to be done. I tell you this because you are a man who is clearly deserving of my respect. If a wrong has been done against your people, it is my duty, not just by my daimyo, but as a samurai, to see it righted. If if there is a crab in the ranks who would propagate such an atrocity, that crab must be brought to justice. If there is a spider who would do this, they must not sully your name. Do you understand my position? I understand your position, Morimoto, but let me make my position clear. The crab that is responsible for it was slain by your hand, and your hand, Hida, and your hand, Morimoto, and dragged and presented in front of everybody until I devoured it this morning. He kicks the piece of meat that's on the floor. You devoured the raw flesh. We do not allow anything to go to waste in our lands. No one ever sees eating demons as wholesome for some reason. <laughs> no, and raw at that, you know, <laughs> with a little pepper, 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 yeah. garlic. Of wanting to find someone to bring to justice, you already brought justice upon them with your own blades. And the dark magic that the Crab Clan practiced led to the change in the river. You want justice, you say? You want fairness? My fairness is simple. We leave the land as it stays now. That is fair. That is just. That is how we save bloodshed. You explain this position to the crab, and the situation's over. This is not a hard concept. This is not a hard investigation. It merely needs a conclusion. Metagame. <laughs> <laughs> the story is almost over. It just needs a finale. Yeah. Morimoto. A position so firm certainly poses danger if the foundation may shift. I have no interest in moving any foundations. And that decision will lead to bloodshed. And the blood that has already been shed for that foundation? The only blood that has been shed is those by impure crab and the rage that they brought down upon two of my men. I believe I have been very forgiving in what they have done, as that is an act of war. A major clan, by force, took two samurai from a minor clan, from my clan. That is an act of war, that is an act of aggression, and us in the spider have done nothing of the sort, and have done nothing in retaliation. Yes, was I not my Rokugani best cordial last night with Morimoto? Of course I wasn't. I cared about my men, and I cared about what happened to them. As I do now. As you should. 
However, so can we resolve this this morning and end the tensions? Don't you hate it when the villain's <laughs> right? <laughs> we should tell him the decision has been made, the status quo that has been changed by their wrongdoings. We will accept and we will move forward. We shall return to the crab camp, and the resolution shall be made shortly, based upon the knowledge that I have just acquired, and with all truth and good faith. Said the lying liar. (laughs) And as I have stated, my patience has worn out, so I and a detachment of my men will be returning with you. You don't want to separate us, because that could elongate things. Right. And we will resolve it. Your presence will be welcome in... Liar, says the liar. (laughs) It may be welcome in your decision, but the rest of your crab may have a different opinion. And with that, you actually see him. He bows and goes ahead and starts walking back. When he gets... uh... Long enough away that I Short. don't think he can overhear me. Uh, Hida will turn to Miramoto and Hiruma. What an asshole. <laughs> Friends, I did commune with a water kami. So on that, uh, just to, to I once again touch on the, the, this isn't so much the humanizing aspect of it, but it, it's a very important aspect. Uh, people often talk about villains and wanting to do villains as, you know, oh, I want them to, to be like real people and shades of gray and all of this. Uh, one of the important things with that, and, and this is sort of that, that encapsulating moment that we just had, is is to give that villain that moment of being able to really explain their philosophy. Now, the problem is this can be a hard thing to do in any sort of organic way, and this is why a lot of times you see, especially in movies and bad movies, uh, all of a sudden it is the villain's monologue about his great plan. Here's everything you don't understand or might not have understood about my plan. Exactly, exactly. And in this case, he's told you nothing about his plan um, and, and what exactly happened on it, but what he has told you is essentially his direct philosophy on it, which is here's what's going on. I see that the thing moved because the river moved because of Oni. That the crab clan was responsible because it was a crab clan samurai. They took and beat two of my men. I was very forgiving on that. I just want everything to stay where it is. How hard is this? And that's actually a hard philosophy to argue it's against. It's pretty reasonable. Yes. And yes. if he hadn't been such a dickhead right. earlier, we we could have looked to go that way. Right. So, I mean, so I guess that's one of the things that we we could talk about just just briefly, that if this was a campaign, then maybe having us lean towards Daigotsu in the end might have been a better story. Because, like, again, from a campaign play, having to go back once this temple's already built or halfway been built and then having to destroy it probably would up the stakes a little bit. Oh, you ain't kidding. But... We had to get a resolution. This had to be a one-shot. So even though he was reasonable, his personality continued just to make us mad. Right. And we just we wanted him to be wrong. Right. Even though exactly. in that particular moment, which he was a lying liar because it was his people, not the crabs. Yeah, yeah. So he was still manipulative. Sure. But what he said in that moment actually makes a lot of sense. It's, this is the new status quo. The easiest thing to do is just let it as it is and then move on. Right. But – 
He was a jerk. He was a jerk. And we didn't want him to be right. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, maybe he wasn't right, or maybe he was. And that's, that is the, the, the point though, is to be able to, as a GM, if you're telling these kinds of stories, you need to, you need to put that together and then you need to, to build the groundwork on it. And, and, and we notice on this, all of the points of his argument, and, and this is, is really key, aren't surprise information. It's not the, aha, I was doing this all along and you didn't know. I was saving puppies all along and you thought I was a bad guy. Every single step of those, those pieces were things not only that you all discovered through your investigation, that you all directly interacted with. So every one of the pieces of his, his core point going back to you has a stronger emotional weight to it because you were there when the two guys got beat up. You, in fact, set them free. You're the one that killed the crab samurai that had become a demon. You had interacted with these things. You had seen him bring his army and then withdraw his army and him just going, I just want this to be left as it is. Uh, again, there's more information, like he's suddenly building a temple and he's been a jerk face and all of that. But because you all directly interacted with these, these weren't surprise points. These weren't things out of nowhere. It has a much more significant emotional weight. And we're going to talk more about that when we, we get to the actual final duel. And one of the things that makes me think of as, you know, if you think of this as sort of a noir tale, a lot of times in a noir, the hero has the least amount of information. And a lot of the information they get is through someone else's lens. They show up at a crime scene. The cops are already there. Somebody's already dead. And in the hero, he or she finds out this is what happened. It was a gunshot and there was a still lit cigarette in the ashtray. There was lipstick on the cigarette. So we think it was a woman. Okay. That may not have even true. The cops may have lied about that. They may have planted that. That may not be what happened. And I think what's interesting about what you're talking about is that because we were actually there Everything we did was firsthand information, Mm -hmm. but there was hidden information behind it, which I don't know if I can articulate why that's different, but it feels different to me. Right, exactly. And it it legitimately does feel different because when you all have firsthand interaction with it, uh, you take ownership of that somewhere deep within your psyche. It's what we do. It's, it's, oh, I was, it's why we as humans go, I was at that event. I was at Times Square when the ball dropped. I was at Woodstock. Exactly. You, you feel like you are part of it and you feel like you have a piece of ownership of that event. It's a natural human thing that we do. And that's what builds that deeper resonance. And then to go, oh, I was at Woodstock and I didn't know that. Jimi Hendrix was dealing drugs to, to whoever. I don't know. That's true. I don't yeah. have a clue. Some but, brown acid, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, you know, to, to know that that's the secret engine behind, like, oh, there was all this other crazy stuff that was going on as well. And I'm curious about that because I was there and I was part of it. And that's what really drives it. And that's why I like to do investigations where you all are discovering a lot of the pieces actually sort of as they're happening and as things are working because it's so much better than, okay, I discovered there's a dead body and, Okay, it's it's got clothes of someone or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and you're sort of getting the information after the case. This is a, okay, I'm directly involved with this stuff. I feel like I'm a part of what's happening. Again, if we, we pull back the, the, the view for a minute, your three samurai that have been here two, three days with just a mission to give a judgment and walk away about a sliver of land. And yet we're we're to this point where it's like, Oh, I gotta, how am I, oh, right. this asshole, you know, and, and we have those deep feelings because we are so connected at this point with what's going on. And just one more last point for me, um, and, and I don't know that if we fully engaged with it here, but I think it's something that could be useful to, to GMs in the, in the future games that they've run. If we could go back to the noir 
example, if we go and we find out that our cop buddy lied to us or gave us bad information, we will then be mad at that cop buddy. Right. If we are the ones that are there and we have been manipulated by the bad guy, we are mad at ourselves mm -hmm. for falling for it and the bad guy. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not mad at someone else. We're not mad at an NPC. We're not mad at a third party. We're, we're mad at ourselves and the main bad guy or girl. And I think that's a little bit more visceral. Like, again, that's why we want Daigoso to, to lose. It's not because he's not right. because we don't like him anymore. Right. And we want to be able to say, we denied you what you wanted. Ha! <laughs> you want to beat the villain. And in a story, you're always looking for a villain. Um, and that's, I mean, a large portion of, of what this story has been is playing against that fact of, okay, we have these really sharp swords, we want to point them at someone, and then we're trying to figure out who the proper poison is to point them at and stab it into them. And every step of the way, you're being told, oh, it's this guy, oh, it's this guy, oh, it's this guy. And you're not really being told this. You're, you are being heavily manipulated by the GM by giving you what, or what we've called our dual stacking plot. Here's a piece of information that makes the, this guy look good or bad. Here's another piece of information that looks the other guy good or bad. And when it all stacks up, it's like, I could point either direction. And of course, the way that we've built the story is the goal is to try and split the party's beliefs on that, or at least force through their actions a split belief on that, in that Haruma, obviously, as, as Michael, you have told us, very much is not on board with Daigotsu, <laughs> but the GM believes he's going to be able to convince you uh, through some trickery to duel for him. Right. And I just think, um, again, my mind is somewhat racing right now about like all the what-if scenarios that I could totally see us siding with Daigotsu if he wasn't just quite a jerk. Right. And Yasuki being disposed or whatever the Rokugani term is for being relieved of his duty, because he was tainted, he's a right. weak leader, getting a stronger leader in there. And for a long time, like, you know, the, 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 the prologue or epilogue, I'm sorry, how we did a good thing. Mm -hmm. the, the, the area is stronger. The, the, the uh, relationship between Spider and Crab improves. Yep. And we all like, we feel bad, but we kind of did the right thing for everyone. Yep. And until years later when we find out, no, we actually started the same. Sure. <laughs> so again, just from a, a, if a, the, the scope of the story was different, then it might have been a better story if mm -hmm. we decided what that goes to. But I think, again, this being a one-shot game, on the Woodshot Network. Right. And it was like 1030 at night. Right. <laughs> and we know we had to have an ending. We we got to what was very satisfying in the moment. Yes. Uh, but the writer brain in me is like, what else could we have done? Uh, but the, the writer brain, Michael's always going to want to rewrite and see like, oh, how can I tweak it? How can I tweak it? It's very <laughs> true. But it would have been a very, very different story. And I would love to see how that story progressed, too, if we went the other direction with it. Yeah. All right. All right. Onward. Onward and upward. And through the luck of the spirits, I saw the truth of what happened when the Oni we slew was created. A blessing. Finally a blessing. Finally something to provide clarity. Hida, please. Two men entered the clearing. One, the crab Shugenja we see dead. Hmm. The second, a spider. Just a spider. Yes. The spirits are fickle at times, and while they do share information, they cannot paint a picture of a face. Hida-san, your clan will be most affected by this decision. The crab have committed a heinous crime 
in the kidnapping and unlawful punishment of two men who very well may have been innocent. While my decision before that atrocity was committed might have been blurred, the crab must offer recompense to the spider. You understand this. For this matter, you and I are in agreement. Our humors can get away from us at times. The crab have spent their life in war. And therefore, because of that rash and unlawful decision, I believe it is fair that they lose this border. However, the river was dammed by dark hands. Be they crab or spider, that movement cannot stand. Both parties will feel injured. Both parties will feel slighted. That will come upon me. This is a sacrifice I am willing to make. Is your course of action to suggest the removal of the dam? Yes, the removal of the dam and the border drawn along the lines of the new river. That riverbed shall become a fence or some political border. The crabs will lose their land, and the spiders will lose the site for their shrine. Hiruma, your opinion? My only thought is that Yasuki is leader of crab only in name at this point, but Daigatu Jin rules the spider with an iron hand, and the spider that was here was either him or by his knowledge alone. This I wanted him to die. <laughs> My whole plan is he must die. We can't have a political res- resolution. Blood must you be wanna, drawn. Don't want to compromise? Yeah. With this ruling, which can only be considered fair by cooler minds, if he rises to bloodshed, he will cause his own downfall. So quick note. If I remember, Daigosa didn't say who his wife was. So at this point, our character is still the only one that knows it's my sister. You're the character is the only one that knows. Right. Yep. So that's why I'm like, I, no, <laughs> he needs to die. Blood must be shown. <laughs> yeah, I, I need this guy <sighs> to die. This isn't just a, you know, like, like that, again, that's me sort of trying to manipulate Miramoto. I, Absolutely. I want him to die. And many lives will be lost, but that is his decision. And quite often, the best way to purge a sickness is to let it run its course. Cut it out. (laughs) Cut away the dead flesh. (laughs) Stub toe, cut it off. Done. Never stub it again. He's the only one we have. Then Hida-san, Haruma-san, you have my deepest apologies for the chaos that is visited upon your lands. I hope that your lives are lived with honor, however long they may be after this. And if we are to depart this world, I wish you to know it was an honor to serve beside you. I feel equally the same way, Miramoto. It was an honor and a pleasure to work with you on this venture. And you have my respect and sympathy for the decision that we must make in this moment. Miramoto bows to you both, uh, takes a second to collect himself. 
Let us return to the camp with the Daimos together. We shall make our statement. To the resolution. And with that, you march back. And with that. Of course, as you go down, you see that reconstruction has resumed down in the cavern as it's later in the day. Uh, when you make it back into the crab territory. Cavern. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> Start over. Dry lake bed. Cavern the whole time. What are you talking about? I've spoken I spoke it into existence. I take every word you say as correct, and now I have another suspicion. Yeah. Um, in the lake bed has resumed. Uh, once you get back, riverbed, riverbed, riverbed. <laughs> it was late. <laughs> it was late. Jin and four of his soldiers have already actually beat you there. There is a number of crab that are currently surrounding them. There are not hostilities, and they are sitting, kneeling in sort of the town square, waiting patiently for something to occur, but are clearly fixed and unmoving at this stage. I suspect they will not be disappointed for long. <laughs> Thank you, Daigotsu Jin. Your, your patience has been most admirable. Now we adjourn to the daimyos to render our decision. And with that, you head up to Yasuki's palace, palace being a very loose term. Um, as you head up the path, of course, you see his giant horse um, out on one side. I had a little hesitation there because I still thought you all, for some reason in my mind, were going to go back up to the river, the Ah. dam where it happened. So when you said you were going to go there, I'm like, but this is going to be the duel scene. Okay, we're changing. We're dueling here in the crab camp. And that's switched in my mind right there. And you even heard the hesitation as my gears shift. I was like, oh, I thought we were going to go up there. Nope, that plan's gone. Okay, (laughs) moving forward. Duel's still happening. Now it's happening. Change up, just change the scenery, but it's happening in crab territory now. Upon entering... You see that he is very intently looking out the window, and he keeps sort of pushing the curtains, pushing the rice paper away, and peeking and back. Gotta remind, he's such a wimp. Yeah, I bow. As do I. Why? Yeah. Why have? Why have you brought them here? Because <laughs> we are rendering our decision, Daimyo. Thank goodness we have finally come and seen the truth. Yes. Yes, indeed, many truths have reached our eyes. Wonderful. Thank you, Morimoto. Thank you. Is there anything that makes you not want to go with the decision that you have than than a whiny, sniveling little guy going, oh, yes, you finally came to the decision I knew was right. Like, you're going to now say that decision. You're like, oh, I don't want to agree with you now. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Such a whip. I know, but we're but we're there, and and we we see all of as we're setting up for the finale. What we are starting to see is we're seeing all of the little reminders. Is what I'm throwing now. Of okay. Now we 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 have this bit of nostalgic moment as we're going into it, which is as you all walk back. You know, uh, Damato's character uh, Marimoto talks about you know putting the river back, and it's immediately like, oh, there's workers down in there, samurai down in there reworking, going and building the foundation. So if you want to start that river again, you have active people that aren't going to want to leave. Like, remember that. Oh, yeah. You know how you've been dealing with the dickhead that is Daigotsu for the last hour and a half? Oh, yeah. The guy that you're ruling in favor for is literally hiding behind the curtains as Daigotsu walks up, being like, "Is uh, why did you bring him here? No, no, he's scary. Go away. And then likewise of, hey, you finally came to the decision that I knew was right. I'm glad you're going to deliver my verdict for me, Um, which just doesn't feel good at all. So let me ask you this. James laid out his plan. Yes. 
which was to basically an imperfect solution. Right. The river goes back, but the land stays where the the new division, which seems like a decent compromise. It absolutely does. Nobody's really happy. Everybody gets something that they right. want. It's a you know, in that that terms, it's a great negotiation. It's a great negotiation. How did you feel about that solution? Like, did it change your mind? Were you impressed? Were you like, oh god, that that screws me up? Uh, I was I was happy from a GM standpoint that he gave me that before we went into it because I really didn't think I was actually going to know what the solution is until we got there. And this is the true open ended fun of role playing. I at no point directed you all in any way towards what the actual decision outcome would be. Like as far as what you, whether you want to go back, leave it the same do something completely different, totally dam up the river. I mean, you all could go a million different directions with it. Um, so I, I really didn't know what you all were going to come up with in that regard until, of course, uh, James laid it out. And then I was like, oh, that's perfect. That is an answer that is completely unacceptable to both sides because they're all so, it's they're a samurai. We're all self-righteous pricks. It's, it's no, it's I am right. The heavens say I'm right. Do the right thing. Uh, which, which is, so I was really excited for that. And my thought was, I was like, that's perfect, then he's going to come in deliver his verdict. I have my monkey wrench in hand ready to throw into that plan, which is the groundwork that I've laid with with Haruma at this point. And then we'll, we'll work our way into a duel. And one of the other things in my mind that I'm working on is and it's going to come up shortly, is we I sort of reemphasize that duels are to first blood, which means like, oh, we could actually fight in party and not have anyone die die. I don't have to kill Michael's character. Michael doesn't have to kill James's character for this to occur. We could just fight to first blood. Uh, more monkey wrenches would get thrown from there, but that's that's the, the original concept is, okay, if I can pull the strings, I'm thinking, okay, if I can make Haruma duel for me, he knows it's only to first blood, he'll probably intentionally throw the duel so that way James will win, he only takes the first blood, he has fulfilled what he needs to do to Daigotsu, they get to have their heroic ending of putting the river back where they want, and we sort of clean up with whatever disaster is left up after that, and that's what I think we're going into. Uh, which It's perfect, right? Yeah. Nothing could go wrong yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable <laughs> to me. Exactly what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes of audio. I thank you for your patience, Daimyo. Now, Daimyo Jin, Daimyo, oh yeah, that's right, Daigotsu Jin. Daimyo Jin works. Now, Daigotsu Jin, Yusuke Vegito, we must sit, and I must render this decision. While Haruma and Hida have lent me their wisdom, ultimately this burden has fallen upon me, and I accept the responsibility. Is that understood? So again, we thought yeah. that, that because Jim had the, because James had the, the the writ from the the empress i guess right that he was actually there like that was our misunderstanding right. that he was the main character and we were both there to assist him right and and the, these things happen and i think Dagosu actually calls it out shortly like after he delivers his verdict he's like yeah but you're just one of the three voices i want to hear from the others um and those things happen naturally within a game and and the easiest way to do it is just gentle course correction or if it's something that is you know significantly wrong you you do scene break and go hey just so you all know like if you're going to let you know James speak for you. That's fine, but you all have equal voices in this. Play the scene however you want. And um, I, th- I think a lot of that was because of that situation right. where on James's show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if like we were playing at home, we would all probably know or figure out or maybe question like, wait, why is this character 
above us. Well, they're not. Okay. Okay. Right. So it just is something that we didn't even question, I think, because of the situation we were in. Exactly. And, you know, that that is actually an important lesson. We've talked about it some from the GM standpoint, but it, it does come up uh, in games of there do become sort of default authority figures at a table. And people, even in character, subconsciously lend more weight to the default authority figures. You know, in this case, you know, as, as we're talking about, obviously, the GM almost always kind of gets into that role because they're the ones, you know, arbitrating the whole sort of process process um but those can step in as well with like this situation where we are in james's house with james's equipment on james's podcast you know and a story where he is definitely one of the main people you know suddenly it starts going like okay do we let him have more spotlight another way that this very often comes around in games is uh, you, you end up with situations where uh, you have like the most charismatic guy at the table ends up sort of becoming the default party lead and everyone sort of bows to whatever they want to do to some degree because they're the loud, you know, they're, they're the person that's in front. They're the person that's going, okay, we need to do this thing. What do you all think? Bam, takes input and, and does action. Um, and it's something to always be aware of. And one of the big things to do is to try and, and shine spotlight around because something that could have been very easy to do in this game is just build everything, you know, sort of from the first hour in of Daigotsu versus Haruma. Uh, I'm sorry, Daigotsu versus Morimoto, James's character, um, and just make it the two-man show between us. But instead everything is, okay, how can we get the other people involved? We've got the spiritual components for Heated to get involved. I'm trying to position it so two players are involved because what's far more interesting is having the players engage than a player versus NPC interaction. So knowing those sort of default authorities and, uh, you know, kind of working around them and forcefully shining the spotlight through different interactions is, is something that, that I very highly recommend. I just want to touch on that a, yep. a, a couple ways. One, yes, very often there is an alpha player that uh, is either the most forceful, the most vocal, maybe the most knowledgeable about the system. Sure. And they're, you know, well, this makes the most sense because of the system. That's, you know, armchair quarterbacking or backseat driving sort of situation. And, I mean, it, it comes up all the time. And I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it can certainly become a bad thing. Right. If uh, if people are getting overshadowed and they're not giving, getting their free time. And I, I think of an example of, you know, multiple times I've tried to play the strong silent type, mm. which is very against, <laughs> against type. Silent king. Yeah, silent, silent king. Exactly. So, you know, and there's, there's stories abound where this person very rarely talks, but when they do, everyone listens. Right. But when you don't play a vocal character at the table... It doesn't come about when you talk, everyone listens. They still just don't listen to right, you yep. uh, unless you have a very, you know, you've already worked out it ahead of time. Again, session zero, ding, everyone drink. <laughs> that that's how things are supposed to play out. There's, right. there's a player agreement that my character won't be very vocal, but when I do, it's supposed to lend weight to everything. Right. And it should be listened to at the table and evaluated. It doesn't have to be followed, but it should be evaluated. And I think that's just something that uh, a DM needs to be aware of. I know I've, I've talked on our regular show. I was at a convention playing a, a game I'd never played before, and it, it didn't seem to have an initiative system mm -hmm. or the DM wasn't using it. And it very quickly came down to whoever talked got to go. And a couple people were going three, four, five times in a row because another person just wasn't saying anything. Right. And I, and I think that it, they weren't necessarily – less vocal normally but like me they were confused like they kept waiting for the gm to go and say what do you want to do and they never did and it got to a point where i literally said hold on this 
person hasn't gone in a while. What do you want to do? And I kind of had to play armchair GM and I don't think I should have. And I probably, I felt bad, but I just, I could, I could read the table right. enough to this person was getting very frustrated. So to all the future GMs out there, if you're going to set up a, a, a power discrepancy at your table, fine, make sure everyone's on board. And if you're not, then that does require you to read the table and make sure that you are shining the spotlight around and give everyone equal time. Could not agree more. Awesome. All right, let's 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 get into We're the We're getting close. This is it. What is your decision? We we are on the same page, yes, after we we spoke yesterday. We 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 know. We've been told this. There's a dam. We can just simply go up and unmove the dam. Indeed. That is most certainly what needs to happen. I turn to Daigotsu Jin. Daigotsu Jin. Now, oh, I'm sorry. We're up in yeah. his palace. We are not face to face with it. Okay, this so point. yeah, let's bring this, in... this is solely a conversation with Yusuke at this point. However, oh. the manner in which the Crab Clan has conducted itself in the last night, it is a heinous crime that must be answered. And I will address that with my soldiers. No, you will not address it with your soldiers. You must address it with Daigotsu Jin. And I that can't face Daigotsu Jin. You do not have to. I have taken on that burden myself. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> GM got what he wanted and out. Slot one. Get in. done. Up on his horse and it takes him a few moments to get there and slowly makes his way down the path. Daigotsu Jin and his four men rise up. The crabs split and push themselves out, and you three stand in the middle of the clearing with Daigotsu Jin and his four soldiers on one side, Yusuke and his number two on the other. Wind sweeps all hair that can be swept. <laughs> First time Daigotsu and Yusuke are face-to-face, -to -face too. Only time. The stalling has come to an end, Daigotsu Jin. Good. Give us our verdict. Tell these crab where they belong. Indeed, crab clan. While this investigation has been most difficult, I personally have felt most troubled by the actions I witnessed. Two spider, spider that there was no evidence, not even word, to condemn, were kidnapped, dragged from their lands, and savaged. This is not befitting the honor of the Crab Clan, a clan which, through, write, through reading tales, I have come to admire. This clan has been injured by those actions. This daimyo, pointing to Daigotsu Jin, has suffered. His men have suffered. And therefore, they are owed penance. Daigotsu Jin! He turns to... And at this point, Daigotsu Jin has a wide smile across his face. The river was moved unnaturally. Be the hand spider or crab, the river was moved, and it suffers and screams. It is an affront to nature. The river must be returned. Absolutely Daigotsu not! Daigotsu Jin, I thank you... But please let me finish rendering my verdict. The land is yours. The river shall return to its natural resting place. 
the Crab Clan, turning to Yusugi, the Crab Clan deeply regrets their action and humbly offers you a peace offering. We expect in turn that you restore the balance of nature. And, and, and Yusuke sitting up coughing into his elbow, he, he's turning this over in his mind. It is with a heavy heart that you do this, Yusuke, and I respect that. You, 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 you project that the boundaries remain as they are, and this land still goes to the spider? Indeed. But we not, move the river back. Not Yes, not because of the movement of the river, not because of the whims of dark fates, but because the Crab Clan is honorable and the Crab Daimyo knows true honor. Kind of would like to ask James, I might even try to cut in his audio here. Yeah. Did he think this was going to work? <laughs> I, he seems pretty convinced. Yeah, like like like, like he's got he's got a good position. He goes in whole hog. Uh, of course, Daigotu tries to cut it and cut him off, and he's like, "Nope, nope. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> this is it. This is done. No one go to war. It's done. <laughs> right? Roll credits. <laughs> Roll credits for anyone draw swords. <laughs> like uh, he feels. I think he's very convinced of it. But that, I I would have that question as yeah, well. I I'm wonder. A, I'm gonna have to reach out to him see if I can get his uh, his take. He contemplates this for a moment. But Daigotsu Jin is clearly unhappy. Monkey Rage solidly in GM's <laughs> hands. Much as that is well and fine, and I agree with part Wonderful. of your decision. I am so happy to hear you agree with the decision. It fills my heart with such joy I cannot describe it. You are not the only member of those investigating this. Hiruma. Bingo. What is your opinion on what should be done here? Yes, this is a tribunal, and his opinion shall be counted and measured against the other two pillars. I see this is fair. Perfect. Much wisdom, Daigotsu Jim. It is well known that neither the spider nor the crab understand or quite get the dragon and their ways. Their eyes are clouded in this. I have spent days by Miramoto's side watching as he watches, listens as he listens, and I can find no fault with his logic or his argument. Though, Haruma, you did disagree with me. Yes. Then let us hear this disagreement. <laughs> the GM really wants to hear it is worthy of attention it has been put aside and at this moment i stand with miramoto and his decision okay <laughs> monkey wrench averted <laughs> thrown and missed okay so now all of a sudden i realize we got a problem okay <laughs> we are course correcting here haruma is not on board with this plan we we we, we have to get this taken care of so this is immediate gm Kind of thinking on his feet, but I want to let the next few minutes of audio play out, uh, and then pause and talk about what happens. But this is, this is a direct result of monkey wrench thrown. Players have dodged the monkey wrench. They're like, nope, not taking the bait. Duel is now completely gone, shattered every piece that I had of it. And, and what I do next is a reaction to that. Um, well, I don't want to say it was blind, but this wasn't a directional reaction. This was just a, 
a thing to elicit a response, and and we we're going to hear what plays out and then right. talk about that. And I just, just for myself again, I wanted Miramoto to fight because I knew I would die, so I still wanted Miramoto to be the figurehead, right? Like that. That wasn't a Michael doesn't want to take the spotlight from James. Sure, that sure. was a I want Miramoto. And it was a perfect in-character, like, reaction to what occurred. It, yeah. it, it's fully logical. It makes entire sense. Yep. Dare you. Haruma's passion was precise. However, he did have to bow to one of a higher station. Daigotsu Jin. This is unacceptable. Haruma, how dare you? I brought you into this family. I made you kin. I made you more than what you could ever be. You're a worthless existence to your family, and I brought you into more. I would speak. How dare you not stand with me? I would speak here. As I said, I stand eye to eye and toe to toe with Miramoto on this decision. We are not exactly the same. We differ in one regard. I would consider it an honor to challenge you to a duel for the insult to my family. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are we are way off the rails at this point in all of the best possible ways. So, and, and this was one of the scenes that that I really want to get. I mean, and, and we paused it right as we stopped. But I mean, there was literally jaws agape at the table when you dropped this challenge. Yes. It, it's one of the most visceral moments from from this podcast. And I love it so much. Me going into it again. I was literally 30 seconds prior hit with this moment of, oh, my duel is not occurring the way I've been building it. So literally what I did is I went, okay, Daigotsu would be very angry at this revelation, as he was. I literally in my mind go, I am going to browbeat Michael until he does something. I go, I don't know if he's going to try and stab me. I don't know if he's going to submit. I don't know if he's just going to turn and literally walk away. I go, I am going to just browbeat him until he does something and we'll go with it. And that's <laughs> what happened. Yeah, I, I think of it as the moment in Big Trouble in Little China when, uh, uh, I can't remember his name now, near the end, Jack throws the dagger at uh, Lopan. Lopan, yeah. And he catches it. And then he throws it back, and then Jack catches it and throws it back in. Like, that was the monkey wrench. You threw it in. Right. I grabbed it and threw it back at you. Yep. So I had decided, like, again, I know there was a break somewhere, and I don't remember in the in the metagame where we took that break, but I knew at dinner that James didn't seem like he wanted to duel. Right. And I wanted that suit to die. <laughs> so I knew there had to be a fight. So, like, this wasn't necessarily – a reaction directly to what you did there. Like I, I wanted there to be a fight and I was going to make sure there was right. a fight one way or the other. And this is just the way that it came about though. I, I, and I'm still confused by this. Uh -huh. I didn't end up fighting. We're going to talk about that. Okay. It seemed like I was like, all of a sudden the tables got set around me. Like I'm, and then what happened? I just don't understand exactly. We, understand how that I, I will play the next couple minutes of audio. Then I'm going to explain why, because okay. there's a specific reason why that happened. Unfortunately, it's not a great GM reason, but we'll explain it for, for the na nature of this podcast. But the scene was absolutely brilliant. It was shocking. It was breathtaking. <laughs> and again, there was literally four jaws. Why? Maybe yours wasn't, yeah, but ours I knew were. it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> wide open. It. Wait, what? You're going to fight Daigotsu? Yeah. And of course, me as the GM, 30 seconds ago, I thought you were 
fighting for me, and now you're <laughs> challenging me. So I'm just totally shocked. But also, I was going into it with the, you know, I literally, I'm going to browbeat you until you do something, yeah. and whatever you do is going to influence the direction this thing goes. And oh boy, howdy did it. So let's <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah. What? What? You want to duel? You can't duel him. <laughs> what are you doing? Dude, have my notes in the dark. What? <laughs> You want to challenge me? Miramoto you is... Wanna, you small, worthless child want to challenge me? Oh, I accept. I accept so much. The blood will flow on this day. We do it here. We do it now. When you die, and I want to make this clear, Morimoto, you are the agent of instability here. This could have gone different. His blood is on your hands. If you can beat me, I will agree with your terms as he duels on behalf of the investigating party. You want to duel for your honor, duel for your honor, but we're resolving this now. If that's unacceptable, I will slay this child and then duel you, Morimoto. I find those terms acceptable. Should Hiruma falter, I will accept as his second. Do we find these terms agreeable, Daigotsu Jin? Honestly, the culture of the second is between you two. He has no say in it. And you wish a duel to the death, Daigotsu Jin? Is this what you have requested? And he pauses for a few moments. This seems to be what you implied to me. I don't want to mistake your words. I know spiders tend to speak in a manner that is louder than those of dragons. We will duel in the way you are accustomed to first blood, if we are dueling Morimoto. It is acceptable. Then we should get on with it. With that. Okay. Um, so, yes, the, the, you, you dropped it. You were ready to fight, and then suddenly it's like, oh, wait, no, these two are going right, to be Right, yeah, I, I was literally like, wait, what happened? Okay, so what occurred on on this really, and there may have been some mild misunderstanding on James's part of what he was actually saying, um, but he ended up doing what I wanted him to do anyway, which is he he said that if you faltered, he would be your second. Being a second is an actual term within samurai culture within L5R, which is. I will duel for you. For instance, Jusuke, who's a, a, a weak man, you know, typically he would not duel himself. He would have, you know, his his uh, accepted bodyguard duel on his behalf. Sort of like the champion Game of Thrones. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So he volunteered to be your second, um, which then set up the duel between him and Daigotsu. Now, I wanted this to happen. This is solely from the sake of time, the podcast, and where we all were at this point at 11 o'clock at night and being tired. If this was a home game, we absolutely would have done the two duels. And Daigotsu probably would have killed oh, you. No, probably about it. I'm not yes. a duelist. Like, uh, exactly. Like my, my intent was to die. Right. That, yep. that was me saying I will kill my, allow myself to be killed knowing that would force Miramoto's hand. Like my understanding of the second was after I'm dead, he would then take up my place. Right, and and that was the the confusion of terms there. But from from my standpoint as the GM, I just let it wash over and go solely because I didn't want to build up and do two entire dual events, literally because of sake of time. And we knew we were pushing the the bounds of of how much time we could get a one shot show on anyway. We were long for it, uh, so it was. 
it, it was a decision made solely because of production reasons. Uh, and it, it, that is the one, one regret I have on this because I would have loved the scene after he's slain you and then he's covered in your blood fighting Morimoto. <laughs> like eating my flesh, probably. Probably, yes. Yeah. Um, that would have been a really powerful scene and really worked well into the story. But for the sake of time, I literally, I was going to try and sidestep it one way or another just so we had one duel to finish it off for production reasons. So again, that's my, is my one regret on it, but, uh, that is sort of why that happened the way it did. And it's one of those things where, but because of that, it set up a part two, which was incredible that couldn't, well, I wouldn't have been involved, at least not as uh, my character. And you still found a great way, which we're about to see, to to add tension to it, to add real significant tension uh, to this duel, because I was, this was as a nail biter as it gets. So let's, uh, let, let's move forward and, yeah. and see where we go from here. He pops the piece of our armor. Traditionally, you never duel wearing armor. So he pops it. He drops it down. You see him unsheath his katana, which is a dark obsidian blade. Um, another First time he's drawn it. Yes. It's hard to craft. And he stands, waiting. Mm. Yeah. You have all the Yeah. Who will officiate this duel? Kida, will you officiate this duel? That was Michael saying, he needs something to do here. <laughs> and that was the GM going, we need to get the third player involved. Yeah. I will officiate. And what is generally done as part of the ritual is that you normally bless the area, you announce each of the duelists, and then you announce the intentions of the duel and what will be resolved based on the right. victor. Before we get too far to that, though, I would want to approach Yasuki and ask the honor of wielding the blade he attempted to gift to Miramoto for this duel. Again, I think I'm still doing. <laughs> dueling in his stead? No, I'm or... dueling, but okay. if he murders me, yeah. you get to try it. <laughs> Great, good. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. You, you, you are, yes, you, you are, you are, Morimoto, you are dueling in, in the stead of Haruma for both his family honor mm-hmm. and as well as the results yes, of them so accepting. That's, that's okay. what I thought was okay. happening. Okay. I am. Because it was the quick sidestep, yeah. yep. <laughs> 17 if your balls haven't dropped you can't duel hey man hey <clears throat> okay Daigotsu Jin before we cross blades I do wish to acknowledge that though we have met in times of much strife and anger I admire your craftsmanship both with Jade and I suspect the blade you are to wield against me. It is an honor to face you. It is not an honor. It is divine justice from Shahai that I would get the opportunity to spill your blood for this op- this event. I am looking forward to this, Morimoto. This shall be my... More than any duelist should. This is my first official duel. I am also quite excited. Undefeated! <laughs> and, 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 and you see, he, he's a lot more at ease now with that tidbit of information. <laughs> and with that, the rituals begin. The Shugenja generally bless, and duelists normally have their own rituals before, whether it's prayers to the ancestors, what have you. Morimoto, what do you do in your preparations for the duel? I take a moment. It is merely a second to take in the world around me. The faces of the men, 
the grass beneath my feet, the wind on my face, and the sky on the horizon. In one second, I picture it in my mind, and I keep it with me. This is the world. This is what I hope to see when this duel is over. And after that, I am ready. On the other side, of course, you see him. He's now has his top armor stripped off. He's beating his chest wildly and shouting praises to the heavens at Shahai and for all that she has smited in her days. And he is whipping himself up into quite the frenzy. Ida. So make sure I, I understand completely, because obviously there was some craziness going on. Mm-hmm. So now that they are dueling, is it to the death or is it to first blood? No, he agreed to, to first, first blood. blood. <laughs> yeah, I want him to die. You want him to die. Been there. But that's what the agreement is. Okay. If I win the duel and die, it is going to be interesting. Because this dude should k- commit Sepku, and you're probably going to have to kill him. That's what I think is going to happen, you guys. <laughs> it's all to the dice now. Well, I wanted to, uh, if I have a chance to speak to Miramoto bef- before, um, as he's doing his ritual. Certainly. Okay, I would explain. I hope that my rashness has not put us in a position that we would not have gotten to originally. It has perhaps put us in a position that I did not <laughs> that was intend. A pregnant pause. Yep. I do wish for you to take this with you, uh, whether. I continue to live in this world or not. Careful thought and contemplation can stay many blades, and simply opposing me may have been enough, as Hida most certainly would have sided with my perspective. So you and James are on the same page. Yeah. And we could have maintained our judgment. However, this is fine too. Last... <laughs> that is a great lesson. This is fine. It's fine. And he spoke to me of his new bride, which is to be my sister. I had suspected. And because of nah. that, I felt this was something I needed to do for my family's honor. And I appreciate that. You and... have served well in this investigation, and your honor is something that I am willing to fight for. Know this. As is my judgment. If you were to fall, I will probably have to fall upon my blade, for I cannot live in a world where that man is married to my family. There are many ways to interpret the code of Bushido, and Dragon have the good fortune to have been brought up to think of the many paths that Bushido lays out for you. Yes, you could fall upon your blade, and there would be honor in that. But there is a deeper honor in liberating your family. I have essentially advised you to do something that most would find extremely dishonorable. Yeah. And if I fail, kill that dude and save your sister. <laughs> kill that dude and save your sister. Contem- save your sister, yeah. bro. <laughs> I will meditate on these words as you prepare for your duel. It is not in failing that I am disappointed, but in not trying. And I gave him the uh, samurai head, uh, high five. Yeah, the not, samurai high five. <laughs> not in the hood. <laughs> With that, all it has to do is the announcements need to be made by Hida. And in this corner, <laughs> in the blue shorts. Um, so Hida, uh, as like <laughs> Hida would have carrying the taint of darkness, then uh, <laughs> basically pushing everyone back, clearing out the area. 
I'm going to guess Hita has done this before. Well, yes, yeah, so you, 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 you've been around the crowd oh, for a long crowd. time. Yeah, 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 I've been around the crowd. You, you've done this before, yeah. yes. So he, he's, he's a well-versed hand at clearing everyone out, speaking the prayers, consecrating the ground. Uh, he will look to both individuals, make sure they are ready. They clearly appear to be. Uh, and he will speak in a booming voice. Today on this consecrated ground, we approach a duel that will follow all rules of honor and etiquette. The resolution of this duel is to uphold or deny the ruling in the dispute over the land and river border between crab and spider. On one hand, we have Miramoto Kumo. His opponent, Daikugan Jin. Uh, please make part of the ceremony stating the dual records of both. <laughs> <laughs> make up a nonsense yes. number. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes absolutely. Coming in at 300 and 0. I wouldn't even know that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've got to do it at this point. He, he's with, never dueled, so he's 0 and 0, but you got to come with something to get that good, so... Approaching the field, Miramoto brings a dual experience Absolutely. of none. His opponent, Daigatsu Jin, brings and the experience of many slain opponents. But today, we shall respect the agreement made between the two samurai and fight to first blood. If I kill you, you bleed. <laughs> that's true. If I cut your head off, that's first blood. Stage, mm -hmm. as they stand across from each other, the duel has officially begun at this point, and they size each other up, looking for any weaknesses, any opportunities. And we start with our assessment roll. So we get into the actual mechanics. It's time. So there's assessment and then focus. What does focus do? And that's right. Um, that is when you contemplate... The cut that you are going to choose to make. Okay. So at this point, the stances are very relaxed. You probably don't even have your hand on your hilt, but you are sizing up the other person's stance, their stature. That is 24. 24. Okay. Um, yes, you stare each other down, and you succeeded well enough that you can determine one of his stats that you get to learn. And you may learn his void ring his reflexes ring, his skill in Aijutsu, how many void points he has left, or his current wound rank. I guess, I mean, just a peek at reflexes. That's the best I, that's the best I can think of right now. Uh, reflexes, he has a two in reflexes. Oh, okay. Paul's right there. So this is a really interesting moment that I want to touch on, which is, uh, again, we saw some of the mechanics of the duel, which starts out you both make rolls, and based on how high of a roll you get, you get to learn actual mechanical information about the, the person that you're dueling against. James got high enough to learn a piece of information, so he learned one of his, his key attributes, reflexes, that'll be connected, and he learned that it was only a two, which is the starting level for it. And he was surprised by this. And he may even make a little comment later on. I don't remember if it was on the mics or off the mics about, like, I thought he would be a lot stronger than that. And this I really want to tie into it. At no point has the GM or 
any NPC ever said he's a good duelist. At no point has anyone ever said that he's that powerful. No one's ever actually done anything, but you all are convinced Daigotsu Jin is significantly more powerful than you all. He's not. His, his duel skill was on par with Morimoto. They were essentially even. It was designed to, to be so. The reason... And we've talked about this sort of building up to it. And the way that you make someone appear powerful is how the world treats them. Again, you are now subconsciously going back to the Oni was under his control that started this whole mess. The onus of this whole thing, uh, you know, was under his power, so to speak. He was so far beneath him that he was eating the flesh of it afterwards. All of his soldiers immediately follow in lockstep to whatever he does. And the Crab Clan guy, Yasuki, who's leading them, is terrified of this guy. All of those things make him feel so much more powerful than ever going, he's level 12, be very careful. Um, You know, that is truly, if you want to build up someone who's feared, how you do it is the entire environment fears him. You get to interact with the powerful things that are under them, and that lends credence to how much power he actually controls. And I thought that built out very, very well in this, because by the time we got to the duel... You know, from that little comment, my my interpretation of James's comment on that is like, I was expecting this guy to really kick my ass that he's super good. Again, you all made up this mythos that he dueled hundreds of times in the past, and none of this was ever, it was never even stated if he was a duelist uh, up mm-hmm. until this point. But the belief was there just because of the environmental context clues, and that made you all think this is a murderous killer. Which, if you think about it in full, he essentially is a daimyo. Right. But so is Yasuki. Right. None of us would have feared fighting Yusuke. Right. So why why the difference? Exactly. And the other thing I would mention is, again, I've, I've compared this multiple times to a quote-unquote typical D&D game, where if you have your big bad in D&D, they are usually much higher level. Right. So then you have the thing where either you have to wait until your characters catch up to a level that's reasonable to fight them, or you could just have them not be that powerful, as in this case, but they appear powerful. So when the final battle comes... It's not lopsided one way or the other. Exactly. As, as, as he sizes you up and down seemingly well, although neither intimidating the other too much. If you all beat each other by 10, you get a mechanical benefit on the next roll, mm. but you all were close enough to each other. Morimoto, I intend to collect some more bones from my palace today. It will be difficult to do that with a duel to first blood, but if anyone can figure it out, it's you. (laughs) We don't call it duel to first blood in our lands. We call it duel to first strike. I see your intention. I hope for your sake that you are swift. I hope you've considered all of your words for the last two days, Morimoto. All of your decisions. You are the one who's led it to this. You're the one who made it happen. You're the one who has brought dishonor and disgrace to your daimyo through your actions. Prepare yourself. Ah, that will be determined by the end of my blade, Daigotsu Jin. And with that, we go to the focus stage. Both hands go to the hilt of their katana. Bending a void point. (laughs) And this is you're looking for the opportune time you are standing close enough to strike each other. It's whoever wants to go first. So as this is going on and everyone in the crowd is focused intently, um, Hiruma has taken kind of a couple steps back, sort of almost out of the circle. And I'm, I'm being 
unobserved at the moment. I have a really bad idea of what you're going to do. Okay, I'm just going to... Maybe not, though. Oh, I'm sure I do. 40. 40! That's you, a big number. <laughs> you crush him at the exact crucial moment. His foot, his back foot slips slightly on a couple moments of gravel, and you get the clear upper hand and strike, roll your attack roll, as he quickly brings his blade around and makes an attempt to parry it out of the way. I'm spending a void point. You do not get a reroll ones, actually. As odd as it sounds, you're using the Aijutsu skill, not the Katana skill. Even though you're using the sword, it is a different thing. This is unfortunate. 19. Your blade almost touches his flesh. God damn it! Come on! He parries it out of the way. No, wait a minute! I use my luck skill. Yeah! Luck skill, reroll one roll per play session. Oh, thank God. I can't handle this! Roll better! Mahita goes and hides in the corner and has a heart attack. As 25. You see his blade come down and parry the strike away. He raises up and he stops for a moment and you see the <laughs> tiniest trickle of blood <laughs> go down from his his exposed abs. He lowers his blade. He sheathes the sword. He actually reaches forward and grabs you. It was an honor to duel you. The next time we meet, Morimoto, and we will meet again, it won't be the first blood. And with that, he walks away, he gives a signal, and his four depart. Woo. Okay. There it is. <sighs> I got tense listening again to it. I did. I'm not going to lie. It was a tense moment. We got several things to talk about with this. Okay. First, um, this, you know, with, with, with no ego to it at all, this is an epic feeling moment. Um, this is what, in my opinion, I want anyway from the end moment of a campaign, a one shot, whatever. It feels like there's a massive amount of weight to it. It, it feels, it feels epic. It feels like, ah, this is, this is the defining moment. And I want to give give away the, the keys to the kingdom on how you make it to feel an epic moment. Because this is a common thing that gets asked, uh, I see a lot in, in sort of GM advice forums, is, you know, how do I make that last boss fight feel so epic? Uh, the feeling of epicness comes from the culmination of shared experience. There's the keys to the kingdom, okay? Um, when, when Lord of the Rings, when 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 Frodo's throwing the, the the ring into the volcano, the and that scene, why that feels so epic? It's because everything that the group has experienced together up until that moment is now happening in pivotal on this one one piece of time uh, within this game. It, it, it's that's where we're at. I mean, ultimately, again, if if, if we Back up to the eagle view of this. This is a duel to first blood over a tiny sliver of land that means nothing between these two. You all can render a decision whenever you want. 
why does this feel epic? If I were to describe that to you, you know, I, I love, I, I see on, uh, uh, on, on, on various forums, our RPG people go, you know, describe your, your campaign, th- uh, thread in three, you know, three sentences, whatever. And, and it's always the wild house landish ones. I'm like, oh, p- two people are going to duel over a tiny sliver of land that means nothing to either side. Does that sound engaging and gripping? <laughs> of course it doesn't. But what makes it feel epic is in this moment, everything that you all have done, the Oni fight, uh, the Sonate game at the beginning of it, dealing with all of Daigotsu Jin's dickheadness, realizing that the, the crab was tainted and that he's a weak leader and he's going to have to take over, that your sister's involved and that she's on the line, you know, that ultimately your, your honor and your respect is on the line. Everything that you all have lived through to this moment all is wrapped into that, and that's why it feels epic. Epic does not come from feeling a big scale like the world is going to end. The world, in this case, Rokugan, is not going to care at all about the outcome of this. It's a tiny sliver of land, but it matters to you all because you all lived and experienced it. If you want to put together a truly epic-feeling story, all you have to do is have the players go through at their own volition and experience all of these different things and then the outcome of it to be on their shoulders. That will always feel epic. Okay. There's my epic rant. How about that? Okay. So so epic is a culmination of, of shared experience. experiences. And, and that's one of the big key things. It has to be things that, when we talked a little bit about this earlier in the episode, it has to be things that the players themselves actually engaged with and did. Again, you just can't be told, oh, yes, the lineage of all the elves are on the line. Well, I don't deal with any elves. I don't really care. Like, oh, boo-hoo. Like, okay, the elves are gone, whatever. Um, but I don't really care about stopping the dragon for that because unless I grew up in lived in experience with the elves. So that is one of the the big keys that I see a lot of people miss is, you know, it, it has to be the experiences that the players had along the way. So I can see some people going, sure, but how do I do that? So listen so, to the last eight hours of sure, audio. <laughs> it's more than eight. So I guess to, to kind of focus that question mm-hmm. is what is the difference between any game where things happen, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're in the village and the village is being attacked and you fight off the ogres and then you find out that the duke is so-and-so, blah, 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 and the next thing you know, you're fighting so-and-so. So what is it about the shared experiences in this game that you think are different than a diff- another game where they have the final battle but it doesn't feel epic? My honest-to-goodness answer, and it, it's, it's part of the reason why I wanted to do this whole GM Masterclass thing, is... I personally don't believe that answer can be stated in five minutes here in this little audio segment. I think it needed to be stated over a long form because I think what makes it feel epic and how you culminate all these experiences is the advice that we've given over the last seven episodes, eight episodes, I guess. It is putting together story beats and story structure in a logical way that build up to this kind of finale. Uh, the simplest way to do it, I tell people, is is go go to go to the Google machine, type in three act structure, pull up the Wikipedia of three act structure, and if you follow that through just the letter of the law, the way it says that you should go through, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this feels really big and involved. Um, I haven't done any cheap plugs of my games on this series yet. Reflections, the game that you named, as a matter of fact, Michael. <laughs> well, you know, I don't brag or anything. <laughs> um, that's all that game is. It, it, it's just setting up, okay, how quickly can I run you through the needed story beats to feel emotional connection to it? Bam, five scenes. One, two, three, four, five. 
emotional feel, I mean, every single time I play that game. So it's just hitting through the story structures and the story beats using tools like what we've talked about here, obviously that you've talked about on the RPG Academy for years and years and years, uh, and using these things to build up to a story. You know, the the couple, I guess, high points, if I had to narrow it down to, you know, like a, a couple minute explanation is allow the players to to discover and interact with all of the relevant information have all of that relevant information tied to a central point and put that central point on the line where it's the player's actions that are going to determine how that is resolved. So in this case, it's here's the land dispute. You all have gone through. You've learned all the details of the land dispute. You've learned all the subterfuge that's involved with it. Ultimately, we've come to a decision that has resulted in a duel. You all are the one that called for the duel. He didn't even call for the duel. And it is your, uh, you know, the, the mechanics on your character sheet and your player actions that ultimately resolved how this happened. And it felt epic, and then it felt cathartic afterwards with the release from it. So the thing that I would say here, and not to sound too self-congratulatory, I also feel like that the players in this game bought in. Oh, and they have to, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I I often see in, again, D&D games that don't necessarily feel epic is that the players aren't connected, whether that's because they don't want to be, they don't know how, they didn't have a good session zero, whatever the case may be. But we joke about it all the time. It's the I shoot them in the face thing. Right. Okay, you know, five minutes into the game, all the characters are led before someone of prominence, a king, a duke, a monarch, whatever, and someone says, I shoot him in the face. Right. If you're the player that says, I shoot him in the face, you are not engaged with the narrative of the story. There's a reason why that just doesn't happen yep. because it's not the way the story's supposed to go. And sure, it's funny. It's fun. But if you want to get to an epic moment, then you need to say, you know what? My character wouldn't shoot the guy in the face or wouldn't shoot the girl in the face right now. My, my character would actually be in awe or scared, or maybe excited. Maybe they're they're interested in the proceedings in a detached way, but not so detached that it means nothing to them. Right, um, and and that's exactly true. Everything that I stated prior to that is what you can do. I'm gonna say on the GM side to facilitate that. Ultimately, if if the players don't buy in, you know, if if everyone showed up going, oh, I thought we were going to do. Saturday Night Live skits, you know, we, obviously this game would not have been what it was, and and a very large portion of what it was was because the way the three of you all interact with it and bought into what was going on, and like you said, didn't just shoot Daigotsu because it would be funny, um, or ride the Oni down the river because it would be funny, as was suggested by someone, who knows. Right. Yes, absolutely. So the other thing that I would mention, and this is something I, I know that I don't do well, mm-hmm. like it's something I'm self-aware of, that I want to try to build these super complex plots, mm-hmm. especially in like, again, a D&D game, which is going to go on for however many months or years. I could totally see if this was the game that I was running, the characters would have shown up because of the land dispute. But that is not what would have been going on. There would have been something else mm-hmm. happening, and they would have discovered some sort of plot or cult, or, you know, Shahai would actually been being summoned by cultists or demon worshippers or whatever, and that's what they would have stopped. We never got away from that. Like, even though we there was a plot, there was a conspiracy, eventually bad things would have happened. We started the game, land dispute. We ended the game, land dispute. Exactly. Because this story was not about the land dispute. 
And and that's the, the real key to it. This story was about the interpersonal conflicts, which is the stories I like to tell. And honestly, if you're going to do intrigue, I think they work much better in that regard. A lot of people struggle with the, okay, I need to make this big, deep, rich detail. You know, there's going to be twists. There's going to be turns. We're going to build this whole network. It's going to be great. And then it just starts losing people and it starts falling apart and can cause problems. It takes a really a tremendous amount of skill to do that where what I did in this game was not really build that. If we noticed every step of the way we talked with the dual stacking plot, when we started this thing, was Daigotsu the one who summoned the demon? Maybe, maybe not. All I'm doing is stacking evidence on both sides of this to go, what are you all thinking in your mind? Who are you all engaging with? I'm trying to keep the story small. I'm intentionally trying to keep the story within the heads of the three samurai because that's where it's most interesting to me. That's where it's truly going to live and breathe. You know, bringing down the cult of Shihai, again, maybe that sounds like it's more epic, but will that ever be more visceral than this moment where all of the evidence, everything that you'd experience had come together and was like, okay, we have to resolve it now. And I think for me, to, to sort of wrap up my side, at least of this part, is I'm also part of a lot of forums, Reddit, Facebook, whatever, about DM advice. And, and I see very often people will give the advice that the game is about the characters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a lot of people fully explain it, maybe not to the, to the level that we have. Right. But I think that is ultimately what we're saying here. Is yes. Even though you had an idea of what was going to happen, we as characters still made the decisions that led to the finale, and they have importance to us. If you as a DM, and I see this most often with newer DMs, I know I certainly did it, we would write a story, mm -hmm. and then the players would interact with our story. Yep. You know, like, this is the part where the princess gets kidnapped. This is the part where they find the body. This is the part where the demon gets up. And no matter what the players do, those events happen. That is not very good role-playing. Mm -hmm. Good storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 get a, I get offended when people are all like, well, if you're going to do that, you should just go write a novel. Because there's there's degrees there. But yes. yes, if your characters are just bystanders in your story and they can't actually affect things, then you are, in fact, writing a story. You can have things happen. Like the princess or the prince can still get kidnapped, but the players need to interact with either stopping it or the environment that happens after. Right. What happens when the prince or princess is kidnapped? How does that affect the characters? Were they charged to protect them or do they not care? Either one's fine. But now the world's different. Yep. And what does that mean to your character? So I think, again, trying to sum this up in, you know, 12 hours of audio <laughs> is session zero. Ding, everyone take a Absolutely. drink. Figure out who your characters are, what they want, and then find a way to deny them what they want in a way that makes them want to go harder for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, just to touch on a couple points, I, I think we kind of opened the this show a little bit on this point, um, and, and we'll get into this. And we've got just just a few little wrap up points on here. Yeah. Uh, we, there's been so much discussion in the last few years, um, mind-numbingly so. And and you made the the point about oh, just go write a novel and how that that bothers you because it bothers me too. Of railroading versus linear plot. What we saw here in this was a linear plot. It was not railroading. And this is why I wanted to sort of say every step of the way what I was doing, okay? We came into this, me telling you, you all are going to do an investigation. You all are going to make a decision based on who's right and who's wrong. 
Okay. That's not railroading. That is setting up your one shot or your campaign. Never as a GM be afraid to do that. Never be afraid to say, get these directions. Now, there's different ways you can do your session zero. You could get everyone together and go, what type of game we want to play? We just did this with our home group, and we're going to play four bards that are delivering beer at the end of the world because that's the type of little four or five episode campaign they want to play, and there's nothing wrong with that. Or you can go the other direction, which is equally valid of, I am going to run this game. And when I approach it that way, and typically L5R, I approach that way of, I am going to run this investigation game. This is the game that I want to run for you all. My question always is, on starting, how are your characters involved with this? Why are they interested in it? You as players get to decide how and why your character is interested in it. But I will say this, they don't get to decide if. Because if your character's not interested, oh, that's fine. Well, that character can go sit away. Now roll me up the character that right. is interested. Fine, make in an it. adventure this time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because, again, working on that buy-in. Uh, then as the story progresses, as we, we've been very transparent with this whole thing, I had solid ideas of exactly where this story was going and exactly what I was trying to build up to. The interesting thing is the actual, quote-unquote, facts are more fluid than where I'm actually trying to go, which is an emotional-filled, introspective duel. That's what I'm really building up towards. Uh, So I'm working towards that, and that is my direction. And as we said, for the before I started, it was supposed to be James and Cat having a duel to the death. You know, then it went to uh, it was going to be James and and uh, and or uh, it was going to be James and uh, Haruma dueling on different sides. So it was going to be James dueling for the uh, spider. Haruma, you dueling for the crab, and then that flip-flopped about halfway through, um, and it was going to happen on the waterfall. Of course, none of that ended up coming to pass. Um, and Oh, and I, I, meant, I teased, I was going to say this earlier, what I was going to try and work towards is, obviously, uh, James's character had already accepted, you know, that he was going to duel for, for Yasuki, and then if I could get you to accept the duel, you know, via calling it for first blood, then Yusuke and Daigotsu were going to go back and forth, anger each other, and then turn it to to the death after right. you all had already accepted. accepted. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was the original plan to do with James and Cat as well, was to make James and Cat duel to death on one shot, just to see how that would go. Right. So what I'm doing in all these steps of the way is I'm trying to lead to an interesting story. I come from the GM side, the, the GM school of thought, that the GM should be doing that. Now, again, you don't have to. You can run completely improv. There's a lot of games that work that way. But the way I personally like to run games in the game we've talked about here is I am pushing us towards a direction. But at no point, I don't feel like, other than when I sidestepped your duel. That was the one part where I took a little bit of agency away, and it was for production reasons. I don't think I ever stopped in the way at all of your agency. You all had 100% agency at any time, but I am still there to craft. You giving you all agency doesn't mean I'm not allowed to do anything in my world. Giving you all agency is I am creating a very interesting dynamic experience that is following the beats of proper story structure to tell an interesting tale. And ultimately, you all are the ones that get to decide how that play out and what its ultimate outcome is. The biggest place I see people mess up is in the finale aspect of it. The players absolutely have to determine the finale. If that duel was determined by anything other than you all's actions, it would have been bad. And I'm going to put a big asterisk on that because we're about to open up a different can of worms, I feel like. Okay. Well, uh, before I get to that, okay. Uh, sort of, you know, I, said I, I said I was going to wrap it up, but now I'm going to wrap up my wrap up. Okay. And I've said this before. At the end of the day, the GM still makes up everything. Yep. 
So no matter how much you want to talk about agency or railroading or sandbox versus linear, you still made up everything that wasn't us. Mm-hmm. So you made up the Oni that we fought or didn't fight. You made up what the Kami said or didn't say, how vague or how direct it was. You you made up the Yasuki. You made up everything that we interacted with. And we've said it before. You can manipulate us the way and the when and how you give information. So you still make it all up. It doesn't matter. Like there's the point of that just want to say that that is the GM. You still have the ultimate even if you don't remove our agency, even if you don't railroad us, you still decided if we decided to go on some weird tangent, you could have just let it be a dead end. Or you could have given us something that brought us back around and, you know, circuitously brought us back into the adventure or whatever. You still just made it all up. So and, and that's not a negative. It's just something I want people to wrap their heads around that as the GM, you still have all the control that you need. But if you do it heavy-handedly, it feels different. Yep. I want to play. There's there's about 30 seconds left of audio, actually. Okay, you want to play that first? I want to play that, and then, then we'll open up. Because I have a couple things I want to wrap okay, up with. Did so. you, th- I want to play this right before we talk about the mechanics. Okay, side. we'll do that first, and then we can do okay. I got a couple of things. Okay. okay yeah, because then we still have to talk about your sister. You guys look around, and you see that uh, Haruma standing over there with his arrow. Oh, my God, we didn't talk about drawn that. With a jade-tipped arrow tip. <laughs> And then I just lower it slowly. And with that, the crab rejoice. The land has been put back where it was, although before you all depart the next day, as to, to wonderful glad tidings, all of the, you've been treated to the geishas that you would like, you've been treated to a proper banquet, everyone has come and congratulate you in appreciation for what you have done. They have told you they intend to tear down the dam first thing tomorrow morning. And the one thing, Haruma, you see as you all are departing is your dear sister riding on horseback being ushered towards Spiderlands. And with that, we close out our game of Rokugan. God! Holy crap, can you get more dramatic with that roll? Fuck! I mean, literally, it was TN20 to hit him and you rolled 19. I mean, I was like... No. In, in the back, of, like in the back of my mind, I knew uh. that I had the luck, but I completely forgot in that moment. Going, no, I was so close. I mean, he needed TN twenty seven to hit me. Uh, but what's his dueling stat now that we're? The, it, it's three. Um, okay. I, I, so I mean, he he would be a six K three, but he saved his void point on strike too. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. Villains get void points as well. Yeah, um, not so. But. Uh, Oh. oh man, thank you so much, Jim. That was no. Th- 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 that <laughs> was... Every step of the way, you all made it far better than anything I had prepared. By all means, thank you. That oh. was an outstanding game. <laughs> wow. Okay. So okay, couple things there. I just listeners keep in mind that cathartic release that you heard at the end of that. Yes. That wonderful. But go we ahead. were all because uh, there's there's a couple things there, but first and foremost. We talked about this before. The, the only other battle that we had in this game was the Oni. Right. So another time that we, we engaged in mechanics in a, in a duel or fight or whatever. And we've already established that that fight was a lot of hand-wavy, make us feel good about our characters and yada, yada, yada. Was this duel by the numbers or not? Okay. As just a refresher from what we talked about in the Oni fight. 
Okay. Uh, during that fight, as we talked about, uh, during this whole game, I had a GM screen in front of me, and I roll behind the screen. It is something that I do. There's different thoughts and opinions on that. Um, and there's questions on, you know, okay, well, could you have fudged the dice? Should you as a GM fudge the dice in certain periods of time? I want you all to to know that feeling that you had when that duel happened and the tension and the cathartic release that happened after all that tension. That was a real felt emotion. Did I fudge the dice rolls? Yes. No? Maybe? Daigotsu Jin didn't even have a mechanical character sheet. He, he had nothing. It, when I said it was a TN20 at the end of the that was a bold-faced lie. Yeah. There was not a mechanic behind him. It was all smoke and mirrors. 100% of it from the mechanical standpoint on it. Did that make it feel any less real to you? I'm, I'm only admitting this literally now in this podcast as, as a information tool to you all. Um, I, and, and I think we, we maybe talked about this before and, and Michael, I think you said this is my favorite thing in the world. The, the, the dice are your first draft as a GM and the GM is, you know, what, what works as an editor. That's what you, that's what you do. And I wasn't going to let any dice rolls ruin this wonderful thing that we had built up. Here's the reality. James was going to win that duel. Period. Is, is that maybe a little bit of letdown now? Maybe, sure. But the reality of the fact is James was going to win that duel because that's what told the best story. And I, as the GM, were going to make the dice say so. In this case, James won the initiative handily. He blew it out with 40. You know, he wasn't ever going to get higher than that. And he ended up using his luck mechanic, which felt amazing, to score the final hit. If he hadn't have hit, Daigotsu would have attacked, and that attack would have missed. And we would have gone to another round. And we would have maybe eventually gotten to a karmic strike where we both hit each other at the same time. But the dice weren't going to change the story in that point. Do some people maybe feel cheap? Do some people maybe feel cheated? Do I see a lot of people say, ah, if you do that, it ruins the experience at the table? This is the evidence that I point to. I go listen to that duel. Listen to the cathartic release when that duel is over. Me making up the numbers behind the screen did not change that at all for me, for the players, for no one. I will say I would have never, ever admitted it if it was not for this podcast, but that is the reality of what happened. So I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. I think, and I've said this before again multiple times, that if your players know that you're fudging, it's bad. Right. And I don't, I don't want that as, as a player, someone who fudges all the time as a player, I don't want to know what happens. And there was a game I played in recently where it was very obvious that the DM fudged and it was bad. I, I, I was like let down. So it's not to not do it. It's to do it well. Yes. And I think the way this worked out and the reason why it worked so well, because I don't know that it would have worked in every situation. One, it was to the duel or to the first blood. So we only had to hit once. Yep. It wasn't like, Somebody had 37 hit points and someone had 77 hit points and there's going to be hit and then damage and blah, blah, blah. It was somebody needs to hit somebody first. James won initiative. So great. You don't, Perfect. at this point, yep. you're, you're like, great. I don't yep. do anything. But he rolled kind of low. Yes. And there was, there's a hesitation in your voice where you're like, you just missed. Yep. And that raised the stakes, yep. raised the tension. Now, James then came back with, I have luck. So, Yin, you still didn't have to do anything. Right. And then he rolled again. He rolled fairly high. Yep. So then it ended. I don't think you fudged. You didn't have to. It is true. If if he would have rolled crap, if he'd rolled seven the second time, 
then you would have had to have fudged. But until then, the DM makes up everything. And, we don't know what his numbers are. And I really want to point that out heavily because exactly what you said. Because the only thing I fudged, because in that, I actually did not make any rolls other than the, the made-up counter initiative roll, but when he hit 40, which right. is super high in L5R, you know, it was like, okay, you beat me significantly. Right. So it doesn't You're matter. Um, the only thing that was then fudge really is what was Daigotsu's defense? You know, the number, the TN number that he had to hit to hit me. And that's totally made up. And and the point that I really want to make, which is is echoing the point that Michaels makes, is does that number matter? Do you, why should it matter more if I wrote that down on a sheet? Prior to coming into it, I still made it up. I could make it as strong as I wanted it yeah, to be. Yeah, it could be. have been 15. It could have been 47. You made up what it was. Or did I make it up when it was narratively relevant? And it's exactly what I did. I made it up when it was narratively relevant. Because if his TN was 15, that would have been so much less tense. I rolled and I won. And it's over and we beat him. Not I rolled and I almost missed with a 19. Or if he rolled a 24 and it almost missed. That almost miss is what made it relevant and powerful because that's what was good in the scene. I am a, a firm, and this will ruin, I guess, any game you all play with me from this point forward, but uh, I, I am a firm believer in, you know, the, the dice rolls are your, your first edit, or I'm sorry, your first draft, and you as the GM are the editor, and I stole that wholesale from you, Michael. Yeah. I uh, Again, I, I think that, like, if you're not going to, if the dice don't mean anything ever, then I do kind of think that's that's a different game. You're just right. playing an improv game, which is fine, right? Because it's fun to do that. I think the numbers have to matter in certain places and certain times, and that's why I, I tell people I fudge. I'm pro fudge. I fudge all the time. I really don't. Yeah, I'd only fudge maybe one roll a game, and probably less than that. Exactly. But I do a lot of what you talk about, where I adjust the narrative. Like I don't roll and get a four and say I hit you because I you know I missed. Right. I'm more like well, there were going to be eight ogres that showed up, but now there's only two. Right. Because I want you guys to just kick their butts. Or there's going to be two ogres, but now there's seven because yep. I want you to run away. Again, I made it up. It didn't matter if I wrote it down before the game started or yep. if I make it up now. And a lot of times, like in combats, I don't have any idea how many hit points things have. Yep. So if you hit and you roll really high, you killed it. Right. If you roll low, it's hurt. Yep. <laughs> Next time you hit it, it'll be dead. And I think that's totally okay. Absolutely. I, I, I've done that. I mean, and honest to goodness, most of all the fudging I ever do is in favor of the players um, for the most part. Uh, I, yeah. You know, I one of the examples that comes to my mind on it, um, I used to on Roll20 run introductory games of at that time, 4th edition before 5th edition was out, 4th uh, edition D&D for people. And I remember this first goblin counter I ran for this guy. I ended up fudging the last two rolls. Because the enemies rolled four crits in a row against him on his first, literally, two turns of combat. And I'm like, I'm not going to drop this poor guy who's never played D&D before to out at the beginning. Like, it's just an unfair thing to do. So he got two crits and then two misses. And that was, to me, what the editor is there for. Likewise, if I have gone the other direction in sort of the D&D sense, there has been some, like, okay, we're fighting the big bad, and his first three rolls are one, two, and three on a d20. It's like, this needs to feel more threatening than what right. it is. He can't just keep missing. And yeah. again, there, there are people who agree with us, people who disagree with us. Sure. That's, again, this is all, all opinions. And Absolutely. We're all fair opinions here. But for me, the feeling at the table is more important than the mechanical accuracy. But I think I still think there's ways to quote unquote fudge that don't require changing the dice. It's just what you make up, how many hit points things have, how sure. much damage it does, 
uh, you know, again, I think that's all in the purview of the DM because if you're if you're not going to do those things, then we don't need a DM. We need a computer program, right? And we're just running through it. The fact that we have a person at the table who's adjusting how the game is playing, how it feels, I think that's what they're there to do. And if you disagree, fine, you're not wrong, right? But we're also not wrong, and we have some proof of it. And that, that's but why I wanted to talk about this this particular point on this show, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that you asked me about it, is because I, I hear that counter-argument thrown up that if you if you do it, it cheapens the experience. And I wanted to emphatically show just from the other side that it doesn't have to, and it's a tool just like any other GM tool uh, that's out there. If you can use it and use it right, it's wonderful. That's my, my personal take on it. I fully understand the other side. And like you say, Michael, there's no there's no right or wrong here. What fudging dice is, is it is another GM tool, just like the three-act structure, just like everything else we've discussed here. It is a GM tool to use. All righty. So the last thing that I wanted to mention, because I think it's a little bit subtle, uh-huh. is, so again, I don't know how clear it was. I think the table knew what was happening more than the audience because I was doing some pantomiming. Yeah, pantomiming. Yeah. But I had established very early that I was looking for an arrowhead-shaped sliver of jade yes. from when the jade statue yes. was destroyed. So when the battle was happening between Daigotsu and Miramoto, I had drawn my bow with a jade-tipped arrow aiming at Daigotsu. And if Daigotsu had won, I was going to shoot him. Yes. And I didn't. Now, the thing is, it wasn't to the death. Right. So for me, as Michael, I was a failure... And a coward right. in that moment. And we don't touch on it because we're at the end. Everybody's excited, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But I left that game with my character in a deep, dark place. Yes, you did. Which, when we start part two, is exactly why I'm portraying him the way I do. And I don't I don't know if a lot of people might have caught that. But that was my feeling is I'm a failure. I didn't get what I wanted. And 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 that's interesting because I did not get that either. Uh, as the the GM, I did not see the failure part. Obviously, until we got to part two, and, and yeah. we talked about it in between. What I did feel as the GM, though, uh, which was just a, a great player give back to the story. And as we were listening to it, I almost was like, "Oh, did James cut something out here?" But maybe it's because you were pantomiming it, like you said. Because there's a part where Caleb goes, "I think I know what you're doing," and I think at the table, which I'm now pantomiming again, was of me drawing a bow right. and pointing towards you. And and us being bad podcasters didn't didn't call that out. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a it, that was one of the most like like to me the three visceral moments to me is I, I've got three the all right here here we get hyphenuity right <laughs> uh, i get three moments where i was i wasn't in chicago illinois in james damato's place recording i was in rokugan right this is this is why i live for tabletop for <laughs> there was the confirmation between daigotsu jin and uh mirimoto where the the crab had their knees broken all of that and we had that shouting back and forth which was the first time in flight here's my ideology no here's my ideology that i was in that field i feel the grass underneath my feet i was there uh there was the moment where you challenged me to a duel where i was just i was literally i'm sure my head just literally shook and in that moment i was daigotsu and i was angry and i was confused and i just (laughs) i was him in that moment 
And then the final duel scene as they're getting ready to strike each other. I have this clear image of like the cleared out field, the two of them with hands on the hilt. And it, it's a movie shot of like you see the camera, you see Hita there as a Shugenja, and then it just pulls back and you just sort of see the, the pulled back arrow that's aiming between like two heads in the spectators that is just aimed right at Daigotsu and the bead of sweat that's on your head and just you're right there and I can hear that little tension in yeah. the bow. Like that is so crystal clear moment to me. So when we were listening back, I was like, we didn't really talk about that yeah. that much. So I thought either he edited it out or maybe it was the pantomiming. It, it, it was, it was it. somewhat subtle. And then again, because of all the other factors, sure. once it was over, it was over. Right. But, you know, but I had my moment of how I lowered my bow. Right. And to me, that was my sort of epilogue that, yes. oh. Yeah, yeah. So I was very glad to have a chance to pick that back up. And again, all the self-congratulatory, masturbatory you want right. to say, I was very happy with that. Even though I was upset as a Michael because I didn't get what I wanted, I was, was a, happy with that character's moment. It was a great character moment. And then it led to really good character yeah. moments. Yeah, I, I like to think so. And then I have one last thing to talk yeah, about, which is a little about your sister. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually, yeah, we... So at the There's end, a part two to this. If there, you guys didn't yeah, know, there is. there's another um, whole AP that happened on the one uh, on the RPG Academy right. network. We may do a part two about. Absolutely. This. How long are we on audio? We're sure. almost two hours. Are we but, really? Okay. Wait, keep going. Okay. <laughs> the uh, so uh, the last thing I want to talk about, which is is something that I always do in the story, because to me it makes it feel a little bit more real and alive. Which is, um, spoiler alert: no gym story ever ends. There's never an ending. It always ends with something like this, which is a, oh, and the last thing you see is Daigotsu walking off with your sister. And it's like, we're going to have to deal, like, that's not just going to go away. That's going to be a thing we have to deal with, right? Um, and it's, uh, you know, when I talk about, um, I have a eight, eight Steps to Building a Plot series that I've talked about, um, and I've done some YouTube videos and all that stuff on. Uh, one of the things I talk about is, is is having a wild card that ends up being your future plot tie. In this case, that was your sister. Uh, she was the bargaining chip that could be used, and that is ultimately the thread into the next story. So when we ended this, there was never any talk about whether we were going to do a second one. I mean, obviously, you know, when it was sort of done, we, we kind of had the thought, like, yeah, you know, it, it's open. But I intentionally kept it that way of, and I always do this, of when when the story quote-unquote ends – here is the thread to the future. And, you know, maybe that road just gets hazy and we never follow down that road, or maybe we do. Um, and typically, rather I'm running one-shots or anything like that, I kind of end with that because it always leaves the road open and, to me, feels a little bit more like life. And we see this, uh, you know, uh, minor, minor spoilers at the end of Part 2. There's another one of these these moments. Yes. Uh, so, again, we're almost at two hours. Yes. So we're going to have to wrap up quickly, but... Obviously, the series for one shot was received very well. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I probably get more accolades from this series than anything I've done on my own show. I get people who follow me on Twitter, and they find the find the show. Usually, they will come and listen right. to me too. So it's it's been great for our show. But probably the biggest reason why there was a part two is because of a catacomb. Mm -hmm. If all the people who get tired of me talking about a catacomb, <laughs> if nothing else, we were all going to be together. Yep. And that was the impetus. We're like, yep. well, we're all going to be together. Cat's also going to be there. Why don't we record a part two? Absolutely. And if, I mean, it wasn't like we necessarily decided to do this. It was like, why, why don't we do right. this? So that's, that's really the biggest reason. We had a plot thread left over and we had the opportunity. Exactly. So we had the means and the motive, the opportunity. 
Maybe apparently. <laughs> we, we, we did a part two, which ended up uh, equally fantastic. And ah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little soonish. Soonish. Uh, so, again, this will be the end of uh, the first part here. Eight episodes. God, I think 10 to 12 hours of audio. A lot of audio. A lot of audio. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully you've gotten something from it, whether you agreed with us or not. Hopefully it made you think about yeah. why you agree with us or not. Again, just the last thing, we want to do a live question and answer show. So once all eight of these have aired, if there's anything you want to talk about with us on live on the air, or if you just want to send questions in, like if you don't have the ability or the intention to get on live with us, but if you want to email a question or, or send in a tweet question, we will address those as well. So once this gets closer to release, we will set a day for that episode to air so people can plan for it. Uh, but any last words, Jim, before we sign off? No, I mean, the, the one thing I want to say just to the live Q&A, I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here, you know, kind of in a vacuum as when we played it, um, giving out all the information we can. And, and despite this being as long-winded as it was, uh, there were still many aspects to it that, you know, we, we kind of, as we were discussing GM advice stuff, kind of for time go, oh, that's a topic we could spend an hour on, but we're not going to spend an hour on. So with your questions, you know, like I said, if you did have any any aspects throughout this that you wanted to hear us talk more about, that you agreed with, that you disagreed with, questions that you had, little details that we didn't cover on it, you know, by all means, send all of those. We're going to do the live Q&A and, and try and answer probably everything. As uh, and be much as we can. Even more long-winded than we already yeah. were. So if you do have questions or comments, please send them in to therpgacademy at gmail.com and just label them GM Master class or something along those lines so that I know that's what it's referencing. Yep. But no, this has been a, a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for facilitating and putting it yep. together, Michael. I, I very much appreciate it. I had a tremendous amount of fun running this series. Um, I do, I, I've probably told this before, uh, you know, I do think it's funny like the week after I did this, actually right after I did this, I told D'Amato, I was like you don't have to air this if you don't want to like the original <laughs> series to it because it was so far, I thought, outside of what One Shot might enjoy. Uh, it's kind of funny to think about now but yeah i mean it, it, it was a wonderful game to run it was so much fun to run with you all and and there's there's rumors that a part three may occur right yeah there uh there has been whisperings there's in been the, whispers well, the whisperings in the east of a dark power right or dark force rising or is it the west i don't remember i'm not, I'm not here for Lord <laughs> the rings but yeah, the, there is a possibility that a part three and I, the biggest thing that will make it happen is if you want it to happen. Exactly. So if you're interested, if you like this and you want there to be a part three, let us know, uh, let James know, let Kat know, let Jim know, let myself. Uh, Cause again, Caleb and I were thrilled and honored to be part of the one shot podcast in any capacity. This was a great series for us to be a part of. I wish I could have learned to say Daigotsu then. Every <laughs> you time got I, it now. You're solid. Yeah, I'm good. Daigotsu. I'm good now. But every time I listen back, I'm like, God damn, I sound so stupid. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. So, Jim, thank you so much for giving me your time now. Being eight recordings, each yep. one at least an hour or so. Pretty I, definitive GM One last Blasters. question. Okay. Can I get out of this basement? Can I finally be let out? Now, yes. Okay, because I have a lot of loved ones that are very concerned. I've missed numerous holidays at this point. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. All right. Thank you. And and with that, this has been Michael. And <laughs> this has been Jim. And we'll see you next time. And with that. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, 
then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>